Friends, well, you might like to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. We're continuing our series there. And as we begin, I want to ask you, do you know anything about chaos theory? I used to be a maths teacher. I like some of the complicated theories of, of life, how the world fits together. One of these exciting ones is called chaos theory. And it's a principle that, that stems from just how complicated the world is, about how even small factors can influence large events. And there's, a, there's this famous analogy uh, in chaos theory called the butterfly effect that is the question, if a butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon in Brazil, it can lead to a tornado in Texas. It's kind of this, this idea that tiny things, seemingly insignificant things, can play a determinative factor in huge events in the world. Now, the world is a very complicated system to break down. Most of maths and physics and all our attempts to understand it are very simplistic. And so chaos theory is one of these ways that helps us get a bit bigger picture. And then when we, particularly when we think about people, people are, we are complicated, aren't we? We are mostly unpredictable in so many ways. It's hard to know what to expect. It's hard for us to look at the world and process it and put all the bits together and predict what's going to happen next. And it's especially hard sometimes to see how the things that we do in our lives, how the decisions we make, even the seemingly small things, how they can make a difference on the world scale. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's a relief and sometimes that's a problem, isn't it? Sometimes we fear the way the world is going or we feel stressed and we don't know how we can, how we can stop things, how we can act to change the direction that history is flowing. And sometimes we feel the frustration or the meaninglessness of our decisions. Sometimes our lives feel insignificant in the grand scheme of things and just we face again and again the mundane realities of life. Mundane kind of just over and over again, the rituals, things, and it's sometimes it can be just hard to see their importance. Well, as we finish our series today in the book of Ruth, as we look at the last chapter, what we see is that the God who is the God of providence, in surprising ways, we've seen this throughout the book, haven't we? We've seen that God is the God who meets needs in surprising ways. He sometimes puts the answer right in front of our eyes, even though we don't always see it or notice it. He's the God who can protect and provide throughout dangerous situations. 
even when it feels risky to our human senses. He's the God who knows our needs for relationship and puts people around us. Well, what we see in this last chapter is that surprisingly, God's providence over the smallest moments of our lives is the same providence over the biggest events in the entire direction of the history of the world. In chapter 4, we're going to read, we pick up the story at the moment, I guess the key tension we've been reading this, it's a, it's a love story, isn't it? It's a romance. We're reading about Ruth and Boaz. And in chapter 3, we saw they, they seem to be the perfect match. It's all going well. Ruth has done this unusual proposal to Boaz, and he seems keen, but there's a hitch. There's someone else who has a better claim than Boaz. And so Boaz has sought to go and have a, have a talk with this other guy, see where things stand. And that's where we pick up the story. Chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down. I sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. And Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. At this point, Boaz has brought up this issue, but he's only mentioned of it in, in terms of the land. See, redeeming, redeeming the land, buying it back, was part of the, the process. But there's the other aspect that he hasn't mentioned here, redeeming Ruth the daughter-in-law of Elimelech and the wife of the deceased Marlon. In buying back the land, the guardian redeemer has the responsibility to take on the widow and to, to give her a son to carry on the line of the, the dead man. But this guardian redeemer, we're, not, we're never told his name. This other one in the family who has the first responsibility to look after this family. He's keen to buy the land. He's keen to redeem it. Verse 5, Then Boaz said, 
On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot. And for those who are following the story, uh, this is the moment of relief, isn't it? When finally in this romance, despite the hitch, we see that it's going to work out. The one who has prior claim isn't willing to redeem the land and the widow. Because he's worried about endangering his own estate, potentially he doesn't have his own heir already who's going to inherit his own property and so then that would complicate things. Um, Perhaps that's what's happening. We don't have the exact details. And so he says, no, Boaz, as first in line, I'm bowing out. Over to you. And at this, Boaz did a handstand and sang for joy. Well, we're not told that, uh, but this is the, 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 the moment he's been waiting for. This is what he's been working towards here. And so they make things official. Verse 7, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. It's a bit different today, isn't it? Um, but this is what they did. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then all the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah, And be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So here we have the story comes together with a happy outcome, isn't it? There's relief that we feel on behalf of our protagonists in the story, Ruth and poor Boaz. These two people that we've seen be commended for being upright of character, for being noble, of good standing. We've seen them act faithfully, kindly, with generosity, with humility. So we're pleased to see things work out for them. We love the happily ever after story, don't we? And in, in one sense, it's it's just a simple, it's a simple small thing. That one relationship between two people with a bit of complicated extended family. That's pretty normal though, isn't it? 
But it's, just, it's, a, it's, a fairly, it's a fairly small event in the grand scheme of the world. And yet already the people there are seeing this as a moment to think bigger. They pray the Lord's blessing on Boaz and this new couple. They pray that he will be famous. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May he be renowned. May his family and the offspring through this family, may they be like Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. As in, may they be like the start of the tri- this tribe. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're saying, may you be that fruitful. May you be that pivotal. That many come from you. A whole tribe comes from your family. They're thinking bigger. But let me tell you, as big as they're thinking, they cannot see anywhere close to as big as what God can see and what God is working out through his providence in, in, this, in this moment. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Did you notice, just in this point, as we see what's happening forward, there's a son born, and the women are excited that Naomi has found a guardian redeemer, someone who's there to be that person in the family they can turn to for provision, who will be responsible for looking after them, handling any debts or situations they get into. But notice, in this case, it's not Boaz that the women are talking about. The Lord has provided you a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Not Boaz, because he's not likely to live in an extended way and look after her in her old age. It's your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's better than you than seven sons, has given him birth. Who's this guardian redeemer? It's the child. He's the one that these women are excited about. The future guardian redeemer. Uh, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed servant. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So God is at work in this family to provide the person that they can turn to for security and safety, the one who was responsible to look after them in all their troubles. He had provided Boaz And now he provides Obed, the one who's going to stand in this family and look after them into the future. 
But more than that, he's providing one who will stand and be responsible for the whole kingdom of Israel. In Obed, he provides the grandfather of the one who is later described as being a man after God's own heart. One who would serve the people and be the shepherd of God's flock. One who would lead the people into battle to defend them and protect them from their enemies. One who would oversee the running of the nation to ensure the provision of the needs of all 12 tribes. See, God is at work in the ordinary moments, in the small things, in the little decisions that Ruth makes and Boaz makes and unnamed guardian redeemer makes. It's a simple decision to him, isn't it? I can't take on this woman, this widow and her family. It's going to complicate things. And yet through this, God brings about his purposes in history. As we, as we see of David coming on the scene, and the last couple of verses just give us the, the extended family tree. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. As we get this family tree, we can't but help continuing, can we? And know that David was the father of Solomon. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And so on and so on and so on until we get to Jacob, the father of Joseph, who was the father, the adopted father of Jesus. It's through this family line. It's through Ruth. Great, 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 lots more greats. Grandson, that God would provide the guardian redeemer of all mankind. The one who would provide for us in our time of distress. The one who would take on our debts, who would buy us back. It's in this family that God has planned and purpose to raise up the Lord Jesus. Ruth can't see it. Naomi can't see it. Boaz can't see it. The men at the gate and the women who are cheering Naomi on and praying for God's blessing, they can't see it. They can't imagine what God is doing through this family. It's still 2,000 years away. But the God who provides in those smallest of moments is the God who has a plan for all of history and is working all those small moments together. 
to come up together for his good plan. Good moments and bad moments. Here's how the Apostle Peter uh, mentions it. Uh, in the very, the very first Christian sermon. Right? You can imagine the words are there, as I read them to you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, the very first Christian sermon, Peter explains to the great crowd gathered there. says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. See, God at work achieving his purposes, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. What Peter's saying here? It's their small decisions that the leaders of Israel had made to reject Jesus, to hand him over to the Romans to be killed because they didn't like his teaching. They weren't willing to come under his authority. They were jealous of his popularity. They decided to kill him. And in one sense, it's a, it's a small decision to make. And yet they collectively, they did it together and they got a bit of momentum and it ended up with him being killed. And you know what Peter's saying? This happened as part of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. They made their decisions to kill Jesus. God was overseeing all of history so that this event would take place. So that Jesus, the guardian redeemer of mankind, would die. He would pay the the debt that we owe as sinners, the debt of punishment hanging over us. God had a plan, a wonderful plan, a plan that ultimately culminates in Jesus at the cross, but a plan nonetheless that he was engineering through the smallest moments 2,000 years before between Ruth and Boaz. The God who provides with each moment is the God who provides through history. As we look at the world around us, it's easy to be frightened at the way things go. We hear the news of wars, the terrible destruction of countries, the traumatic loss of life. It's easy to be frightened. As we see 
people advocating for worldviews that don't fit with the reality that God gives us in the Bible. As we see politicians pushing agendas that are incompatible with God's way. Changing things in our society from ways they have been. And perhaps maybe they things were more aligned with God's way. And we we feel them slipping away. We feel the tide of history maybe ebbing, undercutting the place of Christianity in, in, in our country, in the world. It's easy to feel frightened or stressed or worried, anxious about what's coming next. We need to remember that God is the God of history. His plans won't be undone by a few people making decisions that seem to be opposing God. And they tried that before, didn't they? They made some decisions that opposed him. They nailed him to a cross. God the Son, they nailed to a cross. And even that couldn't overturn God's purposes, but just brought them about. Our friends, as we see changes in society, we don't need to be concerned that God's plan is not coming about. And as we, as we ourselves take part, as we make our decisions, as we go about our lives, as we face maybe the mundane realities of life, we wash up the same dishes today that we washed up yesterday and that we're going to wash up tomorrow. And it, sometimes it feels like a hamster wheel. And it's easy to kind of see what's the purpose, what's the significance of going through the motions again and again. How does it fit in? We take hope, don't we, that God is working out his purposes for good. And we take hope that as we, as we act faithfully in the small moments, that God will weave them together to bring about his purposes throughout all history. We won't always be able to see how washing the dishes is contributing. We won't always be able to see how the simple words we speak to one another, take an effect in someone's life. Sometimes that will only be evident years down the track. But God calls us to act faithfully, just like Ruth and Boaz did in their small moments. And we trust history to him. Because we know he has a good plan, doesn't he? A good plan that he has put into motion, is working out, has begun working out through Ruth and Boaz in little ways. 
come to culmination at the cross, has been vindicated through Jesus' resurrection, we know his plan is effective. Not even death can hold him back. And we look forward to it coming to completion when Jesus returns. Let me finish with these words from Ephesians chapter 1. Talk about God's wonderful plan. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For he, God, chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given, given us, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Where's it all going? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The God of the smallest moments is the God of history. He is bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your wonderful providence. Thank you that we can trust your providence. As we sit in a long sequence of small moments, we make each decision. Please help us to remember your purposes that you are bringing about in history. Help us to trust you. And help us to act faithfully in each small decision that we encounter. We pray more and more that you would bring us into alignment with your grand purposes, that you would bring us more and more under the kingship, under the lordship of Jesus. And we do this looking forward to the day when he returns. We pray in his name. Amen.